Ma'am, without men, there is no future. Jonah, come here and hold this stick. I'm making a fire. Dave, I don't know what that hand motion is, but fire making, you are not. Let's just go inside and hit the button to start my electric fireplace. I don't have time for that stuff, Jonah. I have to figure out how to grow crops. Are you giving up podcasting to become a farmer? Any chance you know how to hunt? I'm famously a sometimes vegan, Dave, and I feel like you're spiraling. Are you okay, buddy? I just saw Why the Last Man and I'm freaking out. Would I be useful in an apocalyptic scenario? Could I eat other people? I'm pretty sure I'm too much of a sweetie pie. I'm glad you're asking the big questions here, Dave. Technically, Why the Last Man is doing the asking. The show asks, are the only people who can save us girl bosses? This is Galaxy Brains, and today we're trudging through the wasteland to talk about FX's new comic book adaptation with comedian and host of the Bechdel Cast podcast, Jamie Loftus. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Galaxy Brains, the podcast where movies, TV, and overthinking collide. I'm Dave Schilling. And I'm Dave's own ampersand, Joe DeRay. And each week on the show, we start with the logical brain, advance to the critical brain, question everything with the interrogation brain, and of course, arrive at the blessed state of the galaxy brain. Galaxy brain. Today, the hilarious Jamie Loftus is joining us to have a depressingly good time with the new FX miniseries, Why the Last Man. But before we add an X chromosome to this sausage fest, we need to engage with our big throbbing logic brains. What the fuck, Dave? <laughs> Go away, Baton! The following is a message from the emergency podcasting system. The following segment of the show is riddled with filthy, filthy spoilers. If you don't want to be infected with this foreknowledge about what is to come from the first six episodes of Why the Last Man, then journey elsewhere. This land is not for you. Please proceed to the Apple Podcast page for Galaxy Brains and leave a five-star review on your way out. Thank you. This has concluded our message from the emergency podcasting system. Why the Last Man is the first ever filmed adaptation of the comic book series by Brian K. Vaughn and Pia Guerra. Every man on Earth dies horribly with all kinds of blood and bodily fluids evacuating from their bodies all at once. Do you think they poop themselves or, or no? I can neither confirm nor deny the presence of poop. 
Fair. I think they pooped for sure. I mean, come on. It was poop central up in there. Again, I will not speak of this um, poop situation. It's not going to happen. I'm sorry. Okay, so these guys definitely pooped after dying. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I would have said no shit, but I'll say yes shit, Dave. They, but they most likely did. Everything came out. <laughs> All right. Let me just compose myself. So these guys poop for sure after their mysterious virus that only affects cisgendered men or people born with X chromosomes. This is an important distinction to make as the actor Elliot Fletcher plays the trans male character Sam Jordan, who survives the virus. The last cis man on Earth is Yorick Brown, who is also unfortunately the last magician on Earth. Instead of forcing him to have sex, shouldn't we be forcing him to do card tricks? I know that's what I would do. This poor bastard is left fighting for his survival, trying to fend off various factions and religious sects, trying to use him for their own nefarious purposes, and searching for his long-lost girlfriend, who we totally gaslit up until the apocalypse. I was getting your dry cleaning, and then I was getting cheese to make your dinner, and then I just fucking proposed to you. Yeah, <laughs> she left him right before the end times for totally legitimate reasons. Sorry she didn't want to marry some guy who earns his living pulling rabbits out of a hat. You make jokes and talk to puppets for a living. Dave, you are not a puppet. You're a real boy. All right. Okay. I feel good now. Good. We should also point out that uh, York the Magician is also the son of the newly installed President of the United States, played by Diane Lane. Listen up. I think I should try to inspire us. I'm not going to bullshit you. I think it's going to get worse. Uh, and, and she's trying to keep the world from falling apart while also trying to keep her family from doing the same. Ooh. This week on Why the Last Man, what's Thanksgiving like for the Johnsons after the apocalypse? Parallel narratives. Nice. Anyway, there's all manner of intrigue as the show progresses. We meet the secretive culprit ring personified by Agent 355 who is tasked by President Brown to protect her son, Yorick, at all costs. I am about to put myself in between you and whatever comes through that door. That's a good deal for you. There's also a big villain turned by Amber Tamblin, who plays the reactionary political figure Kimberly Cunningham and a Midsummer-style cult leader operating out of a big box store played by Missy Pyle. Excellent choice of bunker. Oh, wait, what day, but if, if, if the apocalypse hits. Can we hide out in a guitar center? Buddy, if we can make it there, we can make it anywhere. That's going to be me and you all the time, scatting while holding guitars. Playing Stairway to Heaven on our scat machines, a.k.a. our mouths. <laughs> now that we've stocked our mental bunkers with all the factoids of Why the Last Man, it's time for Critical Brains. I don't know about this show, Jonah. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't think I liked it. You know, I've been looking forward to some kind of adaptation of this for a long time. I read some of the books way back in the day. My wife, Deanna Rooney, she was a very big fan of these books. She also doesn't really know about the show. And it's it's one of those shows where the scale of it is so big, you feel that you must like it on some level. You know, even if you don't like Game of Thrones, you got to admit the, the locations are pretty wild. Yeah, that's a really great point. I, I think sometimes we are bowled over by spectacle or by the amount of money being spent on the screen. This was certainly an expensive show to make just from the COVID protocols. The vast majority of this show was filmed after the COVID lockdowns of 2020, and uh, they moved the production of the show from upstate New York or, you know, around the New York area to Canada. 
And so there is a noticeable shift in how much outside that we get to see or uh, how many extras there are in various scenes. It is a giant show in the pilot. And it, by episode two, it's like, well, I, I guess we're never getting out of this bunker, are we? Yeah. And it's a it's a bummer that that's kind of I've been on a, a handful of sets during the COVID time and it's um it's, it's irritating. You know, you see people reconfiguring entire scenes because they just has to be talking heads and which is weird for a show that should be large in scope but that would also you know there's that idea too that some shows would do that you know remember every once in a while there'd be like a lost episode that just kind of takes place like in the other's village and it just becomes kind of a drama because they can't like go and you know do a bunch of special effects yeah it's it's the equivalent of a bottle episode on star trek where they just use the standing sets instead of going to a planet and it saves them hundreds of thousands of dollars just because they don't have to build anything. They don't have to go on location, same costumes, all that stuff. Yeah. But be that as it may, it still feels like it should have been a bit more fun to watch. Yes. This is a show that does feel like a stage play. But this is also, I think, an unfortunate trend in television in general, which is the binge model has changed the way shows are, are, are written and how they're structured. If you go back and you watch an old episode of, let's say, The A-Team or Mannix or whatever, <laughs> I don't know, I think the two oldest shows possible. If you go back and you watch ER, you see that the show is building to a cliffhanger in every act. There's a thing that happens at the end of every act before the commercial break that encourages you to continue watching. Now, because commercials are sort of irrelevant for most television shows, nothing happens for 45 minutes. And then at minute 49, right before it hits the 50-minute mark, something amazing happens, and then you're left holding the bag, so to speak, and you wonder, okay, well, I guess I have to watch next week because this thing happened. You know, there's even a kind of a reference to this idea in Only Murders in the Building. I just watched the first two episodes of that. Yeah, and I'm, I might be into it. I'm, I'm excited to see uh, where it goes, but there is that thing where... You know, there's no commercial break, but they do have an act break. When they come back, they repeat what just happened. <laughs> right. Which I think is a reference to that thing that, like, doesn't necessarily need to happen anymore. Yeah, I don't want to linger too much on Only Murders in the Building. But this show, compared to that, it's very noticeable because I, I think in COVID times, when one, the protocols cost so much money, and we talked about this a little bit with uh, with Adam Pally when we did the Space Jam episode, how much it costs to make a show or a movie during this time when you have to separate everybody and constantly test and people have to wear PPE and stuff. You see a lot of the budget is going to that instead of the, the screen. And you just can't physically do certain things because you can't have people in proximity. Only Murders in the Building was also filmed during COVID. I'm not sure if it was post-vaccine or not, but it was filmed during this period of time where things are very difficult to shoot. And it's better because the, <laughs> because the ambition, visual ambition, is lower. Like, why The Last Man was never going to be cheap. I mean, that's what made it take so long to get made. I mean, isn't this the third iteration of production on this show? Yes, there was a pilot that was filmed in 2018 that I think we didn't see, and then they redid it. It's a whole labored backstory that I recommend that you Google because I don't remember all the particular details. But you can see that this was a difficult thing to figure out. And it's a story that demands a lot of visual pyrotechnics. A lot of stuff has to go on. It has to be a big budget production. Small things, cheap productions, are going to be the future 
of entertainment. Yeah, it makes me wonder how the Lord of the Rings show is going to be. That's in New Zealand where there's no COVID, Jonah. Oh, God, you're right. And it's like and they have all the money in the world to spend on it. They eradicated it over there, I heard. Yeah, what if Bezos's uh, trip to space was only to get like a nice establishing shot of Middle Earth planet for the Lord of the Rings show? <laughs> what if? What if? Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the actual show. I mean, I want to talk about this a little bit. I'm sick of stories about the end of the world. If I turn on the news, it's a story about the end of the world. Do I want that in my entertainment? I don't know. I know there are a lot of people who say, you know, everything can't be fun in games on TV. That's just going to anesthetize us to real problems. But I also don't want this grim, dark story of, you know, a virus burning through society because I had to live through that now. Yeah, I'm all for, you know, depressing shit. But at the same time, it's it doesn't feel like anything new to me. I don't know. I, at least like Walking Dead, there's this kind of practical problem solving that they eventually got to. We have to find a house that we can hold up, hold up in. Yes. We have to find gasoline. Yeah, we got to put up walls. That's the kind of like the survivalist kind of idea of the apocalypse where there's actually kind of this this hope. And maybe the, maybe this show will get there eventually. But like I, I found it to just be like, yeah, just another apocalypse, just another daily apocalypse that I don't really need to see you know it's uh i had to drive up north to northern california and I, there was a smoke everywhere and uh, you know we're living in it i don't need to see it on tv that's why i watch ted lasso <laughs> well we don't have to talk about ted lasso right now god anyway <laughs> yeah i i don't want to be inundated with this stuff that's not to say that i'm not gonna see you know dune that i don't love blade runner like there are stories about the end of the world that i find compelling this is almost too absurd but you have two choices with an absurd situation like this. As a creative person myself, as a writer myself, th this is what I see when I think about this idea. You either go incredibly serious, which is not this show. This show still has all kinds of like science fiction conceits and whatnot. I'm talking about serious. Like, what if this happened? What are the practical concerns? How do we, you know, operate a, a generator how do we keep the roads clear? How do we continue society? So then it's just like the West Wing, but without men. I could do that. If the start of the second episode is like, we got to talk about infrastructure. And everyone's like, hurrah. Exactly. Yeah. Like the, the sewers are full of shit. And I don't know why I keep thinking about, thinking about shit right now. That's what came out of all the dudes. Yeah, exactly. Shit. That would be great. I would be into that. Other version of this show that really could have worked. If you don't want to go super serious and really make it about the fact that there's too much shit in the sewers is a comedy. Wow. I mean, you got a pet monkey. Yep. He's got a pet monkey. He's a magician named Yorick. He's the only cis male left on the planet and everybody wants to fuck him. What a story that could be if it was a comedy. Now it's a story that is about gender politics and all that stuff, but it's funny. It's satirical. Who would you cast, Jonah? Let's say this is the funny version of Why the Last Man, directed by Todd Phillips. <laughs> Who is playing Yorick? Tim Robinson from I Think You Should Leave and Detroiters. You gotta drive! Not everybody knows how to do everything. Driving isn't the only thing. Just move your car! <laughs> that would be amazing. Ampersand! Ampersand, get over here! 
I told you I'm tired of fucking. <laughs> this hat is cool. Everybody says it was cool. I'm the last guy. I'm the last guy. <laughs> I would be so happy if that was the case. Yeah. Who plays his mother? I'm going to have to go with uh, Anna Gosteyer. Anna Gosteyer from SNL, I think would be a great, great choice for the president. I can't help but notice, Pete, your balls are a little misshapen. She's so good at like playing that condescending upper upper class kind of, you know, snark. And then who plays Agent 355? I want to kind of keep it in the Detroiters family, so I'm going to say Amber Ruffin. I think Amber Ruffin as a super spy would be so funny. <laughs> and I was like, what? 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 I'm going to see her kicking ass for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I do, I do like the idea that she... While trying to go undercover, she's still kind of her, like, you know, opinionated, dorky kind of self. I think that'd be amazing. And then she just walks away from a conversation that, like, she's like, she's like, well, you know, think about that thing I said. And it walks away and the building explodes. Because then you could have her talking to all the advisors to the president and she can have all these great ideas. That's awesome. I will not tell you who I want to play the mother uh, because I mentioned this in our interview. So you had to listen to the rest of the episode, everybody, if you want to know who I picked. That's how you do an end of the act cliffhanger, motherfuckers. That's right, baby. We should talk a little bit more about the mothers before we continue on this journey through Hades. Because, as you know, we like to talk about parents on this show. Usually it's dads, but guess what? They're all dead this time. Well, your could be a dad too, ampersand. <laughs> Yes, and in a way, he is the father of humanity, really, Jonah, because he will be planting his seed wherever he roams. A new inbred future for the world. This is a prequel to Idiocracy, is what we're watching right now. Go away, Baton! Yeah, yeah. But since there are no dads yet, we're going to focus on the ladies tonight with a segment we call Galaxy Moms. When you come back to Earth, would you please go tell the boys to come in and straighten up their room? All right, here we go, guys. Galaxy Moms for this week on Why the Last Man. Let's start with the head mom herself. What do we think about Diane Lane in this show as a mother? Seems to care about her kids. Seems to care about the country. So I'm going to put her... Uh, and an she seems to have a sweet side and a stern side, and you need that in a mom. I agree. You have to balance the sweet and the sour with a mommy. But I'm going to go ahead and give her a seven because I feel like her just sending her son out to go find this doctor is a weird choice. His plane crashed. They're wandering around the, the forest of Vancouver. Yeah. I don't like it. Also, she gave him so much money to support his useless dream of being a professional magician. Come on, man. There's only one famous professional magician, and his name is David Blaine. There can be only one, like Highlander, all right? There can be only one. The only one at the top. Siegfried and Roy, they're not doing their thing anymore because Blaine's in charge. What about... Uh, Chris Angel's not a magician. He's a mind freak. It's different. He's a mind freak. Yeah, and uh, Penn and Teller are magicians. They're just bullshit. They're, they're libertarian magicians. That's totally fine. <laughs> libertarian truth tellers. Comedy Central. Okay, next up is Amber Tamblin's character. They're kind of the Megan McCain of this show. Yeah. Uh, what do we think of her as a mom? I mean, as a mom, I mean, she really loved her kids. She like, you know, she was a good, she seemed to pay attention to them more than her husband did. So I'm going to put her at a, I'll, I'll give her a seven, you know, even though she's going to, she's essentially raising the brood. <laughs> There's a real village of the damned vibe there. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and agree with you seven. I might not agree with her politics or the way that she raises her kids or the fact that they are vampires, but 
I do think that she's trying. Yes, she is trying. Yeah. Okay. Missy Pyle, who plays the cult leader in the a fake Walmart. What do we think of Missy Pyle as the cult leader who is going to try to uh, steal my man York's seed? She's crazy. She's a cult leader. She's unhinged. But I mean, with that kind of control over that many people, you're going to have to give her credit for it. I'm going to give Missy Pyle a nine on the Galaxy Moms scale. She's like a, a hockey mom. You know, she's a she's a mama grizzly like Sarah Palin. Yeah, I'm gonna give her a. I'm gonna give her an eleven. Oh, how you got to protect those cubs, you know? That's a breakthrough, a new scale. This is the first time we've gone over ten. I've broken the scale of all the shows to do it on. Got to be why the last man, right? Yeah, I think so. Congratulations, Missy Pyle. You're a better mom than the most perfect mom of all time, Florence Henderson on the Brady Bunch. So congratulations to you, Missy. You've broken the Florence Henderson scale forever. <laughs> Well, this is a show about women. This is a show about women who are bosses, girl bosses. And I think what this show really is trying to say is that the only way to survive in this world, Jonah, is to let ladies run the thing. You know, let the women be in charge. Women shall inherit the earth. That is what this story is telling us, that this is the answer to all of our problems. Let's kind of break it down because, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this exact thing. I, there's a version of the story that could have been very, you know, hashtag girl boss centric. A worse adaptation would have slapped a glossy veneer of bright power suits and painted nails on a story where all the men die and the women get the world back in order quickly with the snap of their finger and still have time to make a TikTok about three ways to meal prep. But instead, this show offers a far more complex view of gender and it reinforces the difference between sex and gender and really is a vehicle for the common humanity we all share regardless of our gender. I think the show might prove that girl bosses could be our salvation. Or maybe, maybe they'll be our downfall. I'm not sure where Amber Tamlin's character is on the girl boss spectrum. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, let's dive into the whole hashtag girl boss thing, please. And Dave, every time you say girl boss, you have to say hashtag girl boss. I'm sorry, because I want to get that trending worldwide, number one. Ah, my little baby ears. Dave, get down, protect your ears. All male podcast hosts, please proceed to the next segment. We have a code Y. Producer Kylie? Mindy Kaling? What's a code Y? Code Y, are you talking about girl bossing without the help of our guest? Comedian and co-host of Ventral Test Podcast, Jamie Loftus. Mm, you make a great point. We're really looking forward to talking to her when we come back from the break. So just please stop the alarms. Please. I, my head, it, it hurts. Dave, just get in the bunker. Stop poking me. Stop poking me. Ow, 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 ow. We respect you, producer Kylie. Is that a cattle prod? Ah! It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to Galaxy Brains. We have Gaslit, Gatekept, 
and girl boss our way to the top of why the last man's gender-based apocalypse, and now it's time to call in the big guns. Producer Kylie has let me out of the mental bunker and released me into the custody of today's guest, comedian, and host of the Bechdel Test podcast, Jamie Loftus. Welcome to Galaxy Brains. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure. Oh, it's so nice to be here. I do feel like we're constantly bumping into each other in professional settings all the time. So it's nice that we get to get together and just have a chat. It's true. Just chat about some, dare I say, content. (laughs) Dare, 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 dare all day, I say. (laughs) Why the last man? Why is a good question. Why? (laughs) But more to the point, is this show pro-girl boss? That's a good question. I feel like the... The morality compass and the like politics of this show are so extremely all over the place that I have no idea. Like, I think that ultimately with like Diane Lane's character, it is it is pro girl boss where it seems like everyone is. I don't know. I mean, it's it's like ultimately is that character is just like upholding American systems of oppression and everyone's like yes girl you rock not everybody can eat food sorry that is what it feels like (laughs) right decisions need to be made i don't i i don't know i don't know what did you think jamie we brought you on to tell us what to think i do feel like that is intrinsic to the uh, the premise right yeah this is a story about women inheriting the planet of course it's a called Why the Last Man, and it's about the guy more than it is about them. I wasn't familiar with the source material at all, and I like did some reading on how this series made an effort to be less binary and like all this stuff that it's like, okay, there was thought put into this, but it still revolves around a like goofy man child. It's so absurd to be, who is like nepotism. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because this was really bumming me out when I was watching it. He is so obnoxious, Yorick. He sucks. He abs. I'm like, are we supposed to hate him, or are we supposed to be like, wow, I really see myself in this guy? Like, I, I honestly couldn't tell. <laughs> I yeah, that that is frustrating about this show. It doesn't really come down on either side of whether or not we're supposed to be sympathetic. I believe it's episode three or four. He says something about like, I'll help you, mom, save the human race. But first, I have to find my girlfriend slash fiance who doesn't want to marry me at all. But I'm going to pretend that she does. But he's lying about that. He's lying about this. He was gaslighting her in the first scene with him together where he's like, no, you want to don't you want to be married to me? And she's like, I don't think I want to do this right now or like having second thoughts, just needing to compose herself. And he's pressuring her into this. So I don't know if he's supposed to be a character that we despise because of how juvenile he is and how self-involved he is. And this is kind of like a satire about masculinity in the 21st century. Or if we're supposed to think this guy's cool. At least the people on the show are acknowledging how immature he is like pretty regularly. But it like that scene with his proposal was so frustrating where it's just like, no self-awareness where he's like what you don't want to marry a nepotism magician and you're like yeah nobody wants to marry a nepotism magician it's amazing that you were dating someone you know the the screenwriting trope of save the cat 
is a very popular one with a lot of aspiring writers. And he doesn't save a cat. He saves a, a monkey in this. And this is the only character he seems to have any real affection for is the monkey. Makes you think. It's so bizarre because it's like I found the girl boss characters frustrating, but even they are supporting characters to like the biggest doofus in the world. Well, let's talk about girl bosses a little bit more because I don't want to talk about this doofus <laughs> much longer. To your knowledge, as someone who is, I think, an expert on the term girl boss and who wrote and performed a really wonderful one person play performance art piece. I don't know what you call it. Boss who is a woman. Really good. If you didn't see it, you blew it. You, 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 you really blew it. So you created this character that is essentially, you know, a parody of girl bosses. So I think you know the term really well. Where did it come from exactly? When did this really start to get used in the lexicon of the popular culture? So to my knowledge, girl boss was a term invented by Sofia Amoroso, who was, I think, most famously founded Nasty Gal. Ah, uh, yes. Which is like a clothing brand that started with her just kind of scamming on eBay. And like that, that was the whole start of it. She published a book that was basically like a self-help book for women who wanted to succeed as capitalists and called it hashtag girl boss. And it kind of went from there. But I feel like it went on to encompass the like Sheryl Sandberg, like lean in ethos and and stuff like that. I feel like it's it's always been led by middle class or above white women teaching, trying to teach other women how to succeed under capitalism by using the same techniques that men traditionally would. <laughs> but it's like very empowering. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's really um, a women focused movement or it wasn't. You know, I think it's kind of over now. Anyway, I would love to talk to you more about where feminism stands now, because this show does kind of try its best to interrogate what feminism means. Where do you feel like feminism stands in this really perilous, bummer time? Well, we're recording this the week of the Supreme Court decision in Texas. So I would say, you know, always rough, always a rough time in feminism. I don't know. I feel like uh, it's so hard because this this show for me was just so confusing and messy. But I do feel like it was trying at different times to acknowledge that it's women don't just inherently bond together based on their chromosomes. Like that's such a bizarre concept that I feel like is kind of pushed sometimes of like, we're all in this together. And it's like, well, no, there's still all of these divisions on the basis of class and race and all of this other stuff that seems present in the show. But I don't know. I mean, I think that it's, I worked on a show recently that I did all this research on kind of the history of American feminism and how cyclical it tends to be. I feel like girl bossing fits into it, like in this really unfortunate way, really cleanly, where it's always you know, centered, upper, middle class, white women, usually nepotism on top of that. But also just kind of this cycle of wins and losses where I feel like a lot of what we're seeing right now is things that were going on in the 60s and 70s, unfortunately, where it was it's still fighting for abortion rights and still trying to be more intersectional in feminism, but not seeing that really reflected in policy and not seeing the like coalition building that's necessary to actually push forward. I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm 
feeling very negative this week about everything. I think it's fair to feel negative right now. I don't know. I was talking about this with my uh, podcast co-host, Caitlin Durante, the other day where we were kind of reflecting on like how we were feeling when the Me Too movement started, how there was all this rage and energy and like it really felt like this was all going somewhere. And then just through reading other other authors from past waves of feminism, how there's always a moment where it's like, this is going to change everything. And then fast forward three or four years and it's like, just kidding, everyone. We're still fucked. But I don't know. I mean, the, the one thing that I've been kind of encouraged by is, is an increased awareness of intersectionality and like coalition building online has been really great. This is an important point. You know, the show tries really hard to make it seem as though this kind of calamity would level the playing field, so to speak. Right, right. There's the president's aide who her husband dies, her son dies. She's lost everything. She can't get into the the bunker where the government has uh, holed up. And so now she's brought low by this calamity. But we're going through a pandemic now in real life <laughs> an actual virus is circulating yeah so i'm like who wants to watch a show about a devastating pandemic right now but the show says oh everything's gonna be the same you know people are gonna be like on, on a level playing field but in truth in the real world this pandemic has only reinforced the divisions and the inequalities and all of the things that make life hard to live. I mean, if this actually happened, let's say all cisgendered men died and we were left with, you know, just women, trans men uh, and a variety of other people that aren't cisgendered men, would it be anything like this TV show or would it be completely different? I fucking hope not. I don't know. I really don't want to live in the world of this TV show. I think it all depends on how willing whoever is left to challenge the systems that were in place, where I feel like that's something that never comes up in this show of like, is American democracy the best suited system to handle this calamity, which this show seems to firmly feel yes to the point where it's not even worth exploring alternatives. I mean, it, it's so bizarre that the way that the general public is treated by this show is you don't really see them, which I'm assuming is because it was shot during a pandemic. Yeah, they couldn't afford the, the protocols and they couldn't afford to put a bunch of people in the same room. Which totally makes sense. But, it, but the result of that is you just sort of hear normal people discussed as an angry mob and you don't really know what they want. You don't know if there's any leaders like on the ground. You don't know what systems they might be fighting for that isn't the American democracy that they're, you know, so desperately trying to preserve. This show, even beginning from its premise, is so early 2000s messy that I don't understand why you would even want to adapt it right now. You know, as you said earlier, all the divisions and all of the the strife, all the conflict, all the differences that we have inherent in our society would just be exacerbated by this sort of thing happening. And you would think there would be people who would say, well, let's try it differently. And everyone in this show who says, let's do it differently is a villain. 
Right, right. It almost feels like Ghostbusters where the villain is like the EPA, where you're just like, wait a second. There's no left political movement in this show so far. Of course, you know, we've only seen the first four episodes, so we can't comment on the rest of the show. Maybe the DSA storms the White House in episode five. We have no idea. <laughs> but it, it seems like, yeah, like American centrism is like, what will save us all? Yeah, regular Americans versus fascists. And that is the show. And there's no other way to, to conceptualize of this. I want to ask you about the Bechdel test, because it is one of the most enduring pieces of feminist conversation from the last, I think, 20 years. That might be hyperbole, but I think it's true. And it is the basis of your one of your podcasts, the Bechdel cast. For those that don't know, a way of, of reading a movie where if two female characters don't talk about something other than a, a cisgendered man, it is it doesn't pass. And I watched this show and I don't know if this passes the Bechdel test, even though it is a show primarily cast with women. There is a lot of conversation about Yorick, where he is. Is he okay? Can he have sex with all of these women? So it does in certain like moments and scenes, but like you're saying, not as much as you would think a show that is this dominated by not cis men. If they're not talking about Yorick, they're talking about my husband died. I need to carry on the legacy of a boyfriend that I murdered in the first episode. Which is like, who cares? Juno's best friend has to let that go. I <laughs> Olivia Thurlby played Juno's best friend in the film. Juno, for those who don't remember, she plays Hero Brown. The names of these characters... Yorick, you mean like like the guy from Hamlet? Yes, just like the guy from Hamlet. The character, was it 335? What is 355. It? The one black person in the show is a murderer. Yeah, she's a murderer and she's upholding the American presidency. And this is inherent in the comic book. This sort of secret cabal of assassins that controls the universe. And it does feel, like you said, so retrograde. Like, so early 2000s, and so Hillary Clinton will save us all energy. <laughs> exactly, yes. And that just doesn't feel modern to me. One final question, let's say, hypothetically, mm -hmm. there was a, a, a calamity, and uh, we had to pick a president, and it had to be a cisgendered woman who, historically or you know, current day, would you pick? to be the president, and you cannot say yourself. Okay, women who could handle the job of an American president, I think Katherine Hahn would have a fun time. <laughs> She'd be open bottles of shard left and right. What are her politics even? It could be interesting. Who else? I guess my mommy would do a pretty good job. There you go. She could hold the fort down for a week or so, right? There would be way more fun dive bars that people could afford to go to. <laughs> because according to her, there's not enough fun dive bars with affordable drinks. I think you've stumbled into the best possible solution to this problem. And that is Everyone gets to be president for one week. Oh, that would be fun. It's the Andy Warhol principle being executed at its highest potential. Everyone would get a shot. The world would just rise and fall with each passing week. <laughs> I just don't trust anyone with power. 
I guess. This show is such a bummer in that way where you're like, yeah, no, I get it. We can't trust anyone under capitalism. But it just seems a little bit aggressive to execute it in this way. It is a stark reminder that human nature knows no gender, no sexual orientation, no race. It is just how we are, regardless of what we look like or how we identify, we are all... We're all going to hell. Going to hell. (laughs) I will wrap this up by saying what I've been saying about this show since I first watched. If this had been a comedy, it would have been one of the funniest comedies of the last decade. Absolutely, yeah. All the pieces are there for this to be a comedy. Every cisgender man dies, except for one. And he's a complete doofus. He's a total loser. (laughs) He's Seth Rogen. Literally, yeah. Seth Rogen plays this character with a monkey. His mom is Mary Steenburgen. And she's the president. She's like, it's it's nine o'clock in the morning. It's time to get up. You got to go have sex with somebody. And then it's just like this goofy kind of comedy that you would see in the in the mid to late 90s mm-hmm. that's not what we got we got this grim depressing story about rotting corpses and it's got a monkey in it it would be so much funnier if it was a goofy comedy and i feel like more people would want to watch it honestly if it was like what you were describing where it's like if you're gonna make a whole series about a devastating pandemic You can't make it also very punishing to watch. Like, people could just walk outside. On that note, maybe we should go take a walk outside and and forget about Why the Last Man. Jamie Loftus, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a pleasure. I'm glad we could commiserate about this show and the state of the world and hopefully cheer each other up a little bit. Girl bosses will save us, Dave. Girl bosses will save us. So far, so good. So if you are a listener and you haven't heard Jamie's brand new podcast, At Cast, go out there and subscribe to it right now it is so good it is about the history of the kathy comics the creator of the kathy comics and uh the history of american feminism in the 20th century so i highly recommend that and bechdel cast and everything that you do you're you're a special unique talent and i'm really glad you could join us today thank you so much thank you for having me you're very welcome This week, we wrap up the show with our very first returning Galaxy Brain take from one of our listeners. Here's Sam from Chicago, again, with another weird take. Hi, Dave and Jonah. It's Sam from Chicago. I am really glad we don't have to fight. That would have been a big bummer, and not to mention an issue of scheduling. But my take for George Miller's Chicago, it's a 45-minute surrealist, kinetic and contemplative tap dance about the prison industrial complex. It takes us through the whole movie, all the hits, uh, all that jazz, Tell Block Tango, all of them. And George Miller, we know, is the king of gonzo filmmaking, and he likes to challenge himself as a director. He made Happy Feet 2 and Babe Pig in the City and Lorenzo's Oil and I'm Going in Backwards Order. But yeah, that's my take. That's my pitch for George Miller's Chicago. Cool. Thanks. Bye. 
Peace out, Sam. Oh, thanks, Sam. I mean, just imagine that tap dance happened on the front of a car going around Chicago at 80 miles an hour while the music is being played by some band on stilts with their fucking faces torn off. And just a giant ball of flame rises from the ground for no reason. Yeah, exactly. I love this idea, Sam. This is fantastic. Thanks for calling in again, and thanks for giving us that beautiful vision of a world in which George Miller has decided to adapt Chicago to film. So if you want to call in, we'd love to hear your Galaxy Brain take on next week's episode topic. Not sure if you guys have seen this movie. It's a small, obscure little film from a few years ago. It's called Lord of the Rings. So let us know if you think Frodo was a simp, Gandalf the Grey is superior to the white, or if ins fuck, they fuck for sure. <laughs> this end fucks. They absolutely fuck. Our number is 213-570-8069 and is also listed in our show notes. Give us a call and leave a voicemail with your take. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll read the best one on the air, like this bad mother jammer, from my good friend, Teagally. That's T-E-E-G-A-L-L-Y. I wanted to spell it in case you didn't understand what I said. The title of the review is Fun Smart Show. You're right. This show has really grown on me. What, you didn't like it at first? (sighs) Okay, whatever. Fine, I'm going to hold my fire here. Oh, wow, Dave. It's a slickly produced pod that has goofy goofy, peppy energy and a much more scripted feel than your typical podcast. You're right. All of these words I'm saying right now were written beforehand. This is all scripted. Oddly enough. Yes, they have been. That's every single thing. Even this right now. So anyway, Teagley says it took a few episodes to get on the, its wavelength, but I'm very into it now. Thank you for sticking with the show, youngster person. Teagley. It has great hosts, interesting takes, and it is an excellent addition to my regular rotation of film podcasts. There you go. Look at that. Hey, we just want you to have a good time. We're here for you. That could be you being read by me and interrupted by me. Uh, so anyway, thank you so much, Teagley, and thank you to all the listeners for listening to Galaxy Brains. All right. But just to prove that this is not scripted, we're going to do the outro. Totally unscripted outro. Here we go. That's a wrap on this week's Galaxy That's a wrap on this Brain. week's Excuse Galaxy me? Brain. Next week, we're Next covering... Next week, we are covering the 20th of Lord of the Rings. Jonah. Lord of the Rings. It was great to have you back until this point. <laughs> it, was, it was really tough to have you gone, but now I remember what was so frustrating about you. Oh, I like to have a good time with my friends. Yeah, exactly. But at least you're here, Jonah, to... Share the load. Remember that from Lord of the Rings? When Samwise was like, share the load. Where you go, I follow. What next, Mr. Dave? Well, uh, how about the credits? Galaxy Brains is produced by Kylie Holloway and me, Dave Schilling. The show is engineered by Dan Turek with music from Gautam Shrikashin. Our executive producer is Matt Patches, and our developing producer is Zach Mack. Polygon's editor-in-chief is Chris Plant, and Russ Frustick is the director of special projects. Special thanks to Andrew Melizic, who helped create the show. Until next time, I'm Jonah. And I'm Dave. Lay it on me, monkey man. Brass monkey. That monkey monkey. 